I love those little things. I never know what they're going to come up with from week to week. Well, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. And I want to welcome everybody at our Ferndale Church today. I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. And, and, and I welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus as well. Really, really glad you took time uh, this weekend to join with us and to worship together. I want to just kind of have a little family chat here for a little bit about a process that we've been going through for about five months. I know for some of you it seems like five years. It's actually only been five months. We have been searching for a worship pastor, and uh, I think we can agree together that the one thing that we want desperately is God's person. That's who we want. As a church, we're looking for God's person who will come and help shepherd the flock in, in the first half of the, uh, of, the, of the weekend so that I can come out here and, and open the Word of God and we can work together. And, and uh, I know it seems like a long process. It actually hasn't been. I'm just going to remind you again. For churches of our size, the national average for one of these searches takes two years, okay? We've only been doing it for five months, so you need to hang in there with me. But I want to tell you something about, about kind of how this whole thing works. We're at the process now where we're starting to bring people in and, and kind of, you know, doing test flights and seeing how things feel. But, but I need you to understand kind of how it works because you can want them, but if they don't want you, it isn't going to work, Okay? We understand how that works, right? We can really want them really, really bad, but if they don't want you, it doesn't work. Now, I don't know why they wouldn't want us, because we are an incredibly lovable group of people, are we not? I mean, I just think it's just fantastic, all right? So that's on one side. There's also another side of that. That's where they could really, really want you, but you don't really want them, because you just don't feel like it's a really, really good fit. So here's what I need from the family. Bellingham at Ferndale, I need you to pray that we will patiently wait on God until He goes that one. Because we're not looking for a performer. We're looking for a pastor. We're not looking for a showman or a wonderful over-the-top musician. We're looking for God's choice to take us by the hand each week and say, Jesus is this way. Just follow me. That's what we're really looking for. There are going to be weeks when, when you come in and, and worship's probably not going to work for you because, you know, we're just doing what we can and, and we're working together. I think our, our volunteers have done an absolutely phenomenal job walking through this with us. Um, but I need you to come and enter into worship, and I'm going to tell you this. When your eyes are on Jesus, we could put a bongo player and a harmonica up here, and you should be able to worship if your eyes are on Jesus. So I just want to encourage you with that. I'm also going to kind of let you in on the code, okay? When we say the word guest, a guest worship leader, if you haven't figured it out, it means we're kind of looking at them and they're kind of looking at us and we're praying really, really hard. So what that means is if we say guest, it doesn't mean you pull out your scorecards. It means you pray harder, okay? It means you pray harder. So that's kind of where we're at in the process Next couple of weeks, hopefully God's going to break something loose. If not, we're going to go into the summer and we're going to do what God has called us to do, which is to worship Him in spirit and in truth. We've been doing a series called Big Words, and we're gonna, just going to review quickly the big words we've covered so far, as well as their little mini definitions that we've been throwing along to, with them. We started with salvation. We said Jesus saves. He has saved. He is saving. He'll continue to save. Then we talked about propitiation. Jesus takes. Jesus took the wrath of God so we didn't have to. Then we looked at redemption. We said Jesus pays. That Jesus paid the ultimate price in order to buy us back. That He paid the ransom so that the, the chains of 
sin could be broken off of us and we could be set free. Then we talked about justification, that Jesus stands, that He stands with us so that God doesn't see us as condemned sinners, but as holy and righteous children of God. Then we talked about regeneration, and we said the Holy Spirit revives, that there was a work of God that put new life inside of us, and even though we were dead in our sins, that God brought us back. And tonight, this weekend, we're going to talk about sanctification. We're going to sum it up with two words, that God works, that God is at work in us, that, that He's working inside of us so that we can be set apart as, as holy, so as, we, as to accomplish His will for our lives. So here comes the definition of the big word of the week right off the get-go. Sanctification is this. It's the ongoing work of God to make us holy. Let me say it again. The ongoing work of God to make us holy. And it is work. I don't know how you handle work in your home, but this is how we handle work at the Fishbook House, okay? We have a division of labor and we have territories, okay? This is how the division of labor works. If Laurel makes dinner, I clean it up. Don't elbow your husbands right now, ladies, okay? Just, that's mean, all right, okay? But if she makes it, I clean it up. Laurel does most of the laundry, but I do all of the ironing in the Fishbook household. Do not elbow your husband. I'm seeing these things. These guys are jumping all over the place, okay? And it works for me because I'm OCD and I like putting nice lines and seeing it. It's awesome. It's a great, it's therapeutic for me, okay? I take care of all of the yard work with the exception of planting and caring for flowers because if I did that, I'd lose all my man points and I need to at least stay on that side of things, okay? So Laurel looks after the flowers. I take care of everything else. Inside of the house is Laurel's territory, but I like cleaning with her because I'm OCD and cleanliness is next to godliness and all that stuff works for me, okay? All right? The garage, however, is my territory, and I like cleaning it too. No, I will not come over and help you organize yours, okay? We've made our own system of labor, and it helps us accomplish the work that God has for us each and every day, which leads me to a burning question. Who is responsible for the work of your spiritual growth? Who's responsible for the work of your sanctification? Who's responsible for your spiritual maturity? Who's responsible for the feeding of your soul? Now, in your outline, I, I, I laid out two very common perspectives when it comes to sanctification. The first perspective is this. It's all on God. It's all on God. This is for the people who like to put everything on God's shoulders. They say, I can't seem to do anything right at all. So this is all about God's process. They use verses like Romans 7 that says this, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And they use a verse like that to justify a position that basically says, look, anything that comes out of me is pretty much broken anyway. Human action is futile, so I'm not responsible for anything. It's all on God. And this group completely freaks out when they hear that Jesus is talking about the high cost of discipleship, so they want to blame shift it. All on God, He's going to take care of everything. And they basically say, if God really wants to do something, He can just have at it, but in the meantime, I'm just going to hang out on Twitter. I mean, that's how I'm going to do life from now on, okay? Now, there's another position. Not that it's all on God. Some people say, it's all on me. It's all on me. These are for the people who've made spiritual growth a contest, for them, spiritual maturity is about who memorized the most verses, how many hours you were actually inside of the church building, who's led the most people to the Lord, who has the longest quiet time, who has the heaviest Bible, okay? 
They just want to say, this is all on me. They hear Leviticus 11.44, and they would say it as if God would say it as a barking drill sergeant. You know, they would hear it this way. I am the Lord, your God. Sanctify yourselves, therefore be holy, for I am holy. Ten hut and march. That's the way they would see it. So they throw themselves into this spiritual boot camp, and they just start working as hard as they possibly can because they don't want to make God mad. Okay, just so you know, neither of those two perspectives is biblical. Neither one of them is correct. Now, there's another perspective. I didn't even put it in your outline because I don't want to give it too much press. There's a third perspective from a group of people who actually think it's the pastor's job to make them grow spiritually. I have four words for those people. Don't get me started. But now that I have, I'm going to go anyway, all right? People come up all of the time and they'll say these things to me, you know? You know, pastor, I'm just not feeling fed. And one thing I've noticed about that is this. They always seem to be veterans who've been in church for years upon years upon years. My response to that statement has been, is, and always will be this. You have been a believer for a very long time. So don't you think, maybe it's about time you took off your bib, climbed down out of your high chair, came over to the big people table, picked up a fork, and learned how to feed yourself. I'll say to them, because I want you to understand the insanity of what it is you're saying. You're expecting me in 27 minutes to give you enough spiritual food to last an entire week on, which would be exactly the same as me marching you over to the buffet, sitting you down and say, you've got 27 minutes to eat a week's worth of food. This is your one opportunity. Go. That would be insane, would it not? You don't get to put it on me. You don't get to put it on God. I don't know if that made you feel any better, but I feel most better. I really, really do. What were we talking about? <laughs> Sanctification. Apparently, I'm going to need some by the time we're done, all right? So if it's not on God, and you can't put it on you, and you can't shift it to the pastor, what's the truth about sanctification? Well, number one is this. Sanctification is a partnership between us and God. I'm involved in a lot of partnerships. I've been involved in a marriage partnership with the same girl for 21 years. It's been an amazing ride. I have some amazing friendships with some guys in my life, and we do life together. We're in a partnership with each other, just trying to figure out this Christianity thing. I'd like to think I'm in a partnership with the people of Christ the King Church as we attempt to make Jesus famous in Whatcom County. I'm also in a partnership with God as He works inside of me to set me apart as holy and for His purpose. In any partnership, there are two parts. That's why they call it a partnership. We get that, right? Okay. There's two parts. Scripture tells me about my part in Philippians chapter 2. It says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul says, that's my part in sanctification. It's to work out my own salvation. That's my role. Now, the phrase with fear and trembling doesn't mean that every time you talk to God, you should have a panic attack. Okay, that is not what that's referring to. My faith should not create ulcers. It shouldn't put me into panic attacks or even make me break out in a cold sweat. In fact, it should do just the opposite. My faith in Jesus should actually bring me peace. 
It should settle my stomach. It should slow me down because I know because of my faith that God is in control. And knowing that allows me to rest easy because I have a relationship with the one who's completely and totally in control of this whole thing. Amen? It should just make us feel more calm. Paul uses the phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling to show us that we need to live out the process of our faith with a humble attitude of dependence. Now, he's not talking about works. He's saying you need to enter into the process with God as he begins to set you apart as someone who is holy. We've got a role to play in that, but we can't control it. Let me explain it to you this way. I learned to sail this past winter. My wife, Laurel, and I, we went somewhere hot, which is cool. I mean, it was hot in a cool sort of a way. I learned how to sail in the middle of winter. Okay, you working with me? Now, why I learned something. While I'm sailing, I'm not passive. I'm not just along for the ride. I mean, I've got to adjust the sails. I've got to learn how to steer. I had to watch for other boats. I was unbelievably active working back and forth on this little tiny Hobie cat deck. I was there and active, but I was not in control. The wind was in control. I was completely and totally dependent on the wind. If there's no wind, you're not sailing. You're actually paddling, which is no fun when you're on a sailboat. I was completely dependent on the wind. John 8.38 says this, the wind blows where it chooses. You hear the sound of it but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Now, the little word wind here in this Scripture is the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit in the Bible. John is saying the Spirit blows wherever it wants to. It's way beyond your control. But if you catch it and set your sails actively the way you should... It will take you in incredible directions at an unbelievable speed. That's my part. The same verse actually lays out God's part as well. It leads to Philippians 2, verse 13, which says this. Same verse goes on. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. The work of the Holy Spirit happens in us, but we don't control it. Just like sailing, we're challenged to discern where the wind of the Spirit is blowing, then how to catch it, and how to move in the direction that God is directing us. I'm active, but God is working within me to bring my human will into alignment with His perfect will. It's a beautiful thing. It's a partnership. Secondly, we need to learn this about sanctification. Sanctification is God's will for each of us. Without a question. It's God's will for each of us. God wants us to be set apart, wants us to be sanctified, wants us to be different, wants us to pursue a different set of values, a different set of priorities. The Apostle Paul, he just lays it straight out, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says this, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. That's pretty clear, right? It's God's will. Now, this is where it gets really, really interesting. When we are saved... God declares us to be sanctified. He actually uses a new set of names to show us that we have been sanctified, sanctified, set apart as holy. He calls us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is known as positional sanctification. When you receive Jesus Christ, God calls you a saint. 
Some of you just freaked out because you did not act like a saint yesterday. Come on, let's get real. You blew it. You stiffed your barista and didn't leave a tip. You thought a bad thing when your wife asked you to pick up your part of the division of labor in your household. Come on, husbands. You pulled rank on your kid and made him take out the garbage based on the fact that he's shorter than you, and so it just makes sense in your mind to have him do it, right? You went back to that site again on your computer. You cut that little corner at work and slipped your hand underneath of the table so that you could get paid off the books. You let your tongue go unchecked. You let your attitude slide. You did not act at all like a saint. Let's face it, a positional sanctification, it kind of freaks us all out because it's like, did God really call me that? Did He call me that? Because we all know more than anybody that we have not arrived. We know that there are times when we don't live up to the name that God has called us as Christ once, Christians. One of my favorite stories tells of how Alexander the Great one night was unbelievably troubled, so he decided he would just get on his horse and ride around the perimeter of his camp. He stumbled in his ride on a guard who was sleeping at his post. The punishment for sleeping on your post was death in his empire because if you fell asleep, you put the entire army at risk. Alexander hopped down off of his horse, grabbed the young man by the scruff of the neck, pulled him out of his sleep, and said while his, uh, while his sword was sticking into the base of the young man's throat, What is your name? The young man stumbled and said, Alexander. Alexander the Great dropped his sword and said to the soldier, either change your conduct or change your name. God called you holy, royal saints. Let me be as nice as I possibly can. People of God, either change your conduct or change your name. It got really quiet in here. Stick with me now. We have positional sanctification as a gift from God, but there's another element called progressive sanctification. That's summarized in point number three. Let me put it in common terms. Sanctification is a lifelong challenge. Anybody else notice that? How about you, Ferndale? Huh? We're all a part of an ongoing process in which God works inside of us to overcome our shortcomings and our failures. God refines us. He challenges us. He rubs off the rough edges. He tests us. And in doing so, we have the opportunity to embrace our sanctification and become more and more like Him. I like to use this word picture. God is giving us an opportunity to work on our family resemblance so that we have an opportunity to look just a little bit more like Jesus on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour basis. And this is unbelievably hard work. Listen to the Apostle Paul describe his lifelong process in the book of Philippians. He says this, Not that I've already obtained this 
or had already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward as ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm in process. I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling, and God is molding me into a faithful follower, and it takes time. It takes time to leave behind my old life. It takes passion to push through to the new life that God has for me. I'm living up to the name that God has given me. I'm in process, even though I'm known by Him as a saint, in becoming a saint. It's a process. Now, here's the problem. We get frustrated with the process. We want God to hurry up the process. I mean, we get in the sailboat, grab ourselves a motor, stick it on the back, you know, and off we go. We want to fast track the process of sanctification. Then we wonder why we end up wrecked on a spiritual beach. I mean, it just devastates us. We can't figure it out. It's because we forget something. God is in charge of the process. He's in control of your process in being set apart as holy. We've got an active role, but He's controlling it, and He takes care of it for a lifetime. I mean, let me just give you a couple of examples from this past week of the stuff that God is doing in me as He works out this progressive sanctification, as I develop my family resemblance to Jesus. I mean, is anybody else working on patience right now? Oh, my goodness. I'm like, come on, God, let's go. He's like, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. You just slow down, little man. God's been working on me in in, in learning how to become more merciful. God's been been teaching me through a very, very long process that, that when I get weighted down with the weights of the world, that I have to choose joy. It doesn't just show up and, and you know, kind of sweep into the room. i got to go find joy sometimes. I've been learning all over again how to love my neighbor more than I love myself. Because of my background and the story that I've shared with you, I mean, I've, I'm constantly learning about truth and honesty and saying the right thing at the right time. I'll tell you something about the process. It's constant, it's hard, and it's awesome to think that we get an opportunity to participate with God in our own sanctification. Suddenly, when God does this sanctifying work in our life, suddenly we're not watching what we used to watch. We're not doing what we used to do. We're not pursuing what we used to be pursuing because suddenly, because of this work that God is doing inside of us, this sanctification, the change that's happening on the inside starts showing up on the outside. And it's a beautiful process, painful, difficult. It's not for cowards, I'm going to tell you. But it's unbelievably godly. Number four, the truth about sanctification, that it has one goal. And that's the goal of love. God sets us apart as holy, but He does it within the context of the world that we live in. I love that. God wants us to work out our sanctification as we interact and rub shoulders and elbows with everybody else in the world. You know why? Because it's one of the most amazing tools for evangelism. 
I mean, you just show up at work one day, God is sanctifying some stuff out of you and sanctifying some stuff into you, you're going to start hearing this question from your coworkers. What in the world happened to him? I mean, if, he, if, the, if what happened this morning would have happened to him before, he would have gone off. I mean, we would have been diving for the foxholes. Now, he's just kind of, well, there's a lesson to be learned right there. Everybody's standing around in the crew going, what happened to him? Sanctification. The process of God setting us apart as holy. Listen to the words of John 17 as Jesus says it's going to happen to us while we're in the world, not while we're being taken out or insulated from it. John 17 says this, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. I think we just so need to hear this. Veterans, I hope you're ready for this. All right, here it comes. Your spiritual growth is not about you. My spiritual growth is not about me. You can grow all you want to, memorize the whole Bible, follow every rule from the letter of the law. You can memorize the great theologies of the Bible, but if it never gets lived out, it means nothing. It means nothing. I mean, listen to this. We need to understand this. There's a huge difference between being sanctimonious and being sanctified. Do we know that to be true? I mean, sanctimonious people are all about themselves. Sanctimonious people are always looking around when we're worshiping to see who's looking at them. And as soon as somebody creates eye contact, it's like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for that moment. I mean, they just want everybody to get a good look, right? And then they like to look down their nose at everybody else. Oh, you're a failure, you're a failure. Can't associate with you. Sorry, a little too dirty for me. I'm the clean one. That's sanctimonious. Just so you know, it's sickening. It's sickening. Sanctified people are all about loving Jesus and serving Jesus and giving their faith in Jesus away. When sanctified people come to worship, it doesn't matter what's happening up here. All they care about is what's happening right here. Amen? Right here. The goal of sanctification is to love like God loves. And just in case you forgot, if I've been negligent as a pastor in reminding you, God loved me and God loved you when you weren't lovable at all. I guess that tells us what we're supposed to be doing. He asks us to love in the same way that He loves as He works out this promise and this process. So if you're here today and you're frustrated with the process, Or maybe you're tired in the process and you need some encouragement as God does the work of sanctification in you. Awesome news from Philippians chapter 1 verse 4. It says this. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Until the day of Christ Jesus. He declared us to be sanctified. 
We're in the process of progressive sanctification, and someday when we get home, we will be eternally sanctified. And then and only then will the process be over, and will we have arrived. Arrived home. Arrived to be with our Savior. Arrived to worship in spirit and in truth for all eternity because we aren't going to want for anything at that point. You know, the point of the whole series has been to fortify your knowledge about the heart of God. I hope you've seen just a little snapshot of God's heart in each one of the big words. We've only got one more to go, and that's the word identification. You know, it's amazing. When I was learning how to sail this winter, I had one glorious moment, one glorious moment, when the wind and the boat and everything worked together. One glorious moment when I found myself screaming across this bay. I caught the wind just right, and an amazing thing happened. My instructor told me about it, and it was amazing when it happened. One of the little Hobie things, excuse me, sailors, okay, one of the little Hobie things actually just crept out of the water a couple of inches, and the whole boat began to hum. The guys on shore said, when everything is working right, you'll just hear everything start humming. So Christians, this week, when you're out working out your sanctification and your salvation with fear and trembling, you just listen for the hum. I guarantee you, you'll know it when you hear it. My life wasn't humming very good this past week. I found myself on the, on the end of the usual accusations from the enemy of my soul, the devil himself. He likes to call me an insecure failure a lot. It's getting old. I've been listening to it for years. Same voice over and over again. My response is normally to act tough, pray a little harder, and just pick myself up by my bootstraps and keep on walking. But because of this series, I've actually been answering differently. If nothing else comes out of this big word series, I hope that possibly you have found a way to answer his accusations on a daily basis. Because this week when he came to me and said that I was an insecure failure again, my response was this. Excuse me. But I have been saved by Jesus. I am His and He is mine. That makes Jesus my great propitiator because He took what I could not take and He's still standing. I am not a failure. I'm one of the redeemed. I'm blood-bought because Jesus paid my ransom. He broke the chains of sin that have held me for far too long. And now I'm living and talking free because I'm justified. My slate has been wiped clean. My account has been paid in full. My offenses have been dealt with, and Jesus has secured my acquittal. 
When I was dead in my sin, the Holy Spirit breathed new life into my soul and resuscitated my spirit. And when I was back standing again, he placed my feet on a solid rock, gave me a firm place on which to stand. I have not arrived, but Jesus calls me forgiven, dearly loved, and a redeemed saint of the Most High God. I have been sanctified and am being sanctified as he sets me apart as one who is holy and righteous and living God's life on this broken planet. My new identification is an inspiration so you can bark your accusations at me all you want to, but my Jesus says you're a liar and if I resist you, you have to flee. So now you can leave, go away and leave me alone because Jesus saved, Jesus took, Jesus paid, Jesus stands, the Holy Spirit revived, and God is still working on me. If you call me a slave, I will say I am saved. If you call me a punk, I will say I am propitiated. If you call me a joke, I will respond justified. If you call me a rebel, I will say redeemed. If you call me a reject, I will say I am regenerated. And if you call me stained, I will say, I am sanctified. I'm not out of preaching, I'm out of time. Let's pray. God, thank you for this new identity that's being birthed in your children. May we silence the accusations of the enemy this week by saying, I have been redeemed. I'm justified. God is working out in me the process by which I will be holy. I've been saved. May we walk under the authority of the names that God has given us not the accusations of the enemy. And to Jesus goes all of the glory and God's sanctified people agreed together and said, Amen.